but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hi everyone, welcome back to The Body Surf. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. And first of all, thanks so much for the comments about our Serena episode, our 300th. It was so much fun to do. Serena has felt like so much of the backbone of this show since we started. And it was such a great way to celebrate our 300th. I don't think we often take time to enjoy accomplishing things. Mm. Uh, you know, it's kind of just on to the next one, on to 301. But I'm really, I'm really happy with it. It's our fastest selling album to date. Yeah, <laughs> it is definitely. And that's what the people want. I mean, maybe we just do more Serena episodes nonstop. Well, we're going to start the episode with a few of the things that we uh, rue about the last episode. Things that we felt that we didn't pay enough attention to. And then to wrap up. That episode, finally, we'll end the the episode, this episode, with a segment on some of our listeners' favorite moments of Serena's career. We've been talking about, oh, we should have said that, we should have said that, and so many of your tweets and replies and stuff uh, reminded me of things. I'm like, oh god, I wish I would have said it differently, which always happens. I wish I would have made a comment about the insistence on using half-sister to describe Yatundi Price when mm -hmm. the sisters clearly never saw it that way. There was no half. I like this insistence on accuracy, but it also kind of distanced the trauma from them. I don't feel like we talked enough about her actual game. <laughs> right. Which in a way is in keeping with this show because we are not technical experts. Right? We don't do match analysis. We don't do stroke analysis. Right. It's much more macro for us than the micro. And so hopefully somebody out there can fill that gap. <laughs> yes. There is something about her aura and energy on court that I don't think we totally got into. We talked about the like the kit reveals and stuff, but there was something so uh, just totally dominating about her personality on court. And of course that was complemented by her huge serve. Like her ability to dig out of holes with a serve or close out a match looking like it doesn't take much energy. That's something we don't see a whole lot of. It was something special to her. Before nerves became such a big part of her game as she got older, as any athlete gets older, a hallmark of Serena's career and her game was, I can get out of any hole. I can get out of any deficit the grit, the determination, we saw that happen time and time again. And I don't, I wish we had spent more time going over some of those instances. Mm -hmm. But other than that, a stone groove smash hit wonder. <laughs> I know what you all really want to hear about is Madrid and the absolute debacle it became later in week two. As you know, Rome and Madrid have expanded this year. They've gone from 56 player draws to 96. They now take up nearly two weeks on the calendar. Those two tournaments have manspread, mansplained all <laughs> over May. 
Yeah, it's a short clay season, and it feels like these tournaments have taken up so much room. This was the first experiment with this longer Madrid, and, I, you know, on Twitter it's hard to get the the pulse of what the average tennis fan thinks. For me, it felt like a slog. It seemed like they didn't need that much time. You wonder why players are playing at midnight, 1 a.m., when they have so much time to put on this tournament. And the question is just why. And it boils down to, I guess, it makes a lot of money for the for the tours, for Madrid itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that's the only reason to expand it. The tournament has been expanded so much, and yet Mark Petchy's out here on the internet telling people, tell me, tell me, how else should they have done it? How else could they have done it? How else would you have scheduled this match? Uh, I don't know what to tell you if if it's not self-evident that this was entirely of their own doing. All the debacles, all the controversies, all the mess that followed, especially this past few days, was entirely of their own doing. It's one of the greatest self-owns, self-destructions I've ever witnessed in tennis by a tennis organization. Like, it's just spectacularly bad. Right. And we'll get into this a bit later, but, like, this is the brand. Nothing has changed fundamentally about Madrid and the ethos behind it. I don't think that they will take this as a learning for next year. In most organizations that take themselves seriously, that take their product and employees seriously, what should follow is a complete HR audit, where you have a third-party company hired to come and test the pulse to assess the culture of the organization. You know, one of those things, Mr. HR? (laughs) Because this was rotten from the head. And it's been that way for a while. Well, the head used to be on Tyriac. This is the culture that's been baked in. Like, this is the culture that they want. So It's It's been baked in. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of that pun. A little background on the tournament itself. It had been owned by Jan Tiriak, the Romanian billionaire, for many years. He sold it last year to IMG. The company that operated the tournament, Madrid Trophy Promotion SLU, was acquired completely by IMG, and its CEO was retained as one of the SVPs of IMG. So the former CEO, Gerard Sobanian, is still running the tournament day in and day out. He's Tyriac's guy. This There has been no like fundamental change in how the tournament operates, except for the expanded draw, the, you know, the model ball girls, the uh, gnawing sense that they don't really care about the women. Uh, that has always been there, and it hasn't gone away. It's become unavoidable this year. It's been a feeling that a lot of people had for years, but you couldn't always put your finger on it. Now, Tyriac... When he owned the tournament, he's he sued the WTA multiple times for multiple things. A few times for defamation, one time to fight the requirement to pay equal prize money for the WTA. Since the tournament had the premier mandatory sanction in the previous regime of tournaments, they were required to pay equal prize money, and they continue to be required. He was suing to remove that requirement. This is what he thought of women's tennis. This tournament, the scheduling was a mess from the jump. We had Igor Sviantek playing at 1 a.m. at the back end of this tournament. We had the model situation, which I did some reading on it, and apparently it first started back in around 2003, 2004, 
so long ago that when it debuted, Andre Agassi was playing Madrid and he was asked <laughs> to talk about what he felt about it. Mm-hmm. There have been many iterations of it. There was a time, the one time where it worked out for us, where there were all these hot men on court. Do you remember that? Yeah, but like that wasn't it either. Right. Um. <laughs> it wasn't? No, that's not the point. Like, it's this just feeling of tackiness that has permeated this tournament. Okay, so this tournament, you had the men, the male ball boys. They were in what you would call regular attire. Mm -hmm. Typical stuff, typical fare. And they would be on court for the women's matches exclusively. And then for the men's matches, they would be all women ball people, right? (laughs) Yes. And they were wearing crop tops, pleated skirts. The difference in what we were seeing was pointed. So this has existed for a long time. It was a big controversy, like you said, almost 20 years ago when it started. The model ball girls, ball women. Uh, Thanks to It's Liza's World on TikTok, who brought this up again and gave us a little bit of the history. Her TikTok and tweet like went viral. People really picked this up on Tennis Twitter. Once the tournament was called out... They <laughs> they kept the same ball women for the final, but they put them in these weird long shorts. Like, could you call them culottes? I don't. It was very strange. It was like we well we heard you and we fixed it. We've put the women in short pants. And then where this tournament really started to spiral was with the birthday cakes. <laughs> The Twitter user Slayler Fritz posted a picture of Zabalenka and Alcaraz's respective cakes because it was both their birthday on May 5th. Alcaraz's was massive, like several tiers, and Arena was just holding hers. It was much smaller. And Arena kind of made a joke about it. Vika quote tweeted this user's tweet and said, couldn't be more accurate on the treatment. And it blew up. And the first thing is like, you all are really complaining about the size of a cake. Carlos is Spanish. He's hometown boy. Of course, his cake is going to be bigger. He's the number one, etc. Guys, like, rub those several brain cells together. Like, I beg you to use your brain. Do you really think it's about the cake? What was crazy to me was that somebody like Mark Pecci, who's been around the game for so long, presumably, had his eyes been peeled open, would have seen what's been going on at this tournament for a while. Because I know people who are Mm -hmm. around the game, who cover the game, who've been talking about Madrid in these terms for many, many years. Right. Things that we can't say on the air because we're not privy to it. We didn't see it. (laughs) Or it's not our information. Off the record. Exactly. But, like, some of it is fairly obvious. Mm -hmm. And so we're getting, oh, it's just a cake, guys. Like, like you're so petty complaining about a cake when there's so many more important things to complain about. What did he say? <laughs> he said, with everything going on in the world, uh, essentially. Like? Well, like the Ukraine-Russia war that he mm-hmm. tweets about on his timeline all the time. So that's a context for him, right? Like, it's not a, as important as the war, so why are we talking about this? Right, but... But, like, newsflash. other things can happen at the same time. We contain multitudes. We can keep our attention on multiple things. Just because something is not as quote-unquote important as something else doesn't mean I can't be offended or annoyed by it. He said, quote, 
Imagine with all that's going on in the world right now and being upset with the size of a cake. If you judge everything based on the largesse of the gift, it's not the giver of the gift that is the issue. And then it goes into, like, as a father of daughters, mm -hmm. I'm especially attuned to these things. And it it's so in. frustrating because, like, the vast majority of the world's population is either A, a woman, or B, someone with extremely close proximity to women. We Do you all, know anybody who doesn't know, know women? women. <laughs> we all know women. Right? It doesn't make you more qualified. Uh, I have a mother. I have a sister. Does that make me, like, less likely to be misogynistic? No. Misogynists also have moms, and they also have sisters and wives and children who are girls. The thing that bugs me is this insistence, like, when something is criticized, someone more powerful will come on Twitter and say, well, what's your solution? You've got to give me a 10-page business case for your solution. What would you do differently? Like, sometimes critique is enough. Uh, critique is valid. It's important. Folks on Twitter who are, like, in high school... They don't need to fix the Madrid tournament. Calling it out actually has value. Because the persistent calling out of what has happened at this tournament has led to people showing their asses. Feliciano Lopez has laid everything bare as to what's what with him and this tournament. He responded to this whole thing, the cake situation at first. He quote tweeted Victoria Azarenko. When she said couldn't be more accurate on the treatment, he quote tweeted... Included a picture with Holkaruna and Patrick with Holger's birthday cake. And it's like noticeably the smallest <laughs> of the three, right? Mm -hmm. And he says, I'm surprised by this reaction after this gesture. Exclamation one. Carlos had just won his match to reach the final. Two. He was playing on center court. Three. The tournament is played in Spain, even though it is an international event. P.S. I hope Runa wasn't also upset by his treatment. With a, a tongue stuck out emoji. Okay, where do I want to start with this? Feliciano Lopez is the tournament director of Madrid. It's not a position with a ton of real power. The power is more influential. You're a figurehead. You're supposed to give good PR. You're supposed to represent the tournament well. As the tournament director, he felt like this represented the Madrid tournament well. And that's... <laughs> That just makes me laugh. The force of someone's personality is so uncontrollable that PR can't help you. And then I thought, maybe that actually is the point. Like, maybe this is the culture they're trying to perpetuate. No, I think part of it, a large part of it, is these men don't value what women have to say. They don't like to be corrected by women. Well, that that's for damn sure. But if you think about, okay, Vika is someone who is on the WTA Players Council. She voices her opinions on important things a lot. And you may find her annoying. But most of her complaints are not petty, right? She's entered this phase where she's highly political. Like, she's motivated by things that impact women's tennis. If Vika and Arena are making fun of the size of the cake, like, think real hard. Do you think maybe there's something behind that? Do you think that if they have come out publicly... They've had a million conversations behind the scenes. And Bad Toss on Twitter said this. Like, if women are speaking truth to power in public, you better believe this has been a topic of conversation for a long time. They've been playing this tournament for many, many years. Arena has won it before. She won it in 2021. Fast forward to the final. Arena wins. 
spoiler for what's to come, she beats Iga Sviantek in the final. And in her victory speech, she says, I think it's all because of my cake. It was too good. That's what <laughs> propelled her to victory. And it was at that moment when Feliciana Lopez, I believe, decided that the women would not be able to speak at the women's doubles <laughs> trophy presentation. This is speculation, obviously. Uh, yes. But what else can we deduce? This trophy presentation in the women's final was unhinged. First of all, nobody is giving trophy presentations like Arena Sabalenka. Like nobody these days. Even when she lost against Iga the previous tournament in Stuttgart, Iga is standing there with her Porsche and Arena walks off and around and threatens to bash the windscreen <laughs> in with her trophy. <laughs> I mean, like the the post Australian Open photo shoot. This woman is bursting with personality. So this was a joke about the cake. She was obviously like twisting the knife. And then Iga, the runner up, slips into her less than two minute speech. "Quote: It's not fun to play at one a.m. though. So I'm happy anyway that I was able to get past this experience and survive and be in the final." The camera panned to Feliciano, giving the stinkiest look you've ever seen. Listen, two weeks. Two weeks to plan the schedule that does not even have a full slam field. It's not a 128-player draw. This was entirely avoidable. Except, you know, we get a history of the, of Europe from Mark Pecci <laughs> telling us about time zones in different countries after world wars and why Spain has to be up later than other countries and why the culture is like that. And therefore, that's why it's normal in Spain for uh-huh. a player to be playing at 1 a.m. And you guys just really don't understand. Okay, like it's a late culture. We get it. They eat dinner late. Got it. But where was everybody? Were the stands full at 1 a.m.? No, they were not. Hmm. Petty also says at another point, because there were so many tweets and so many replies, says to somebody, so as I'm here to learn, and this is specifically about Madrid, Can you explain where the inequalities this week in Madrid are? As I believe it, the prize money is equal. What other inequalities am I unaware of that I should be? And this just screamed to me, you have equal prize money. What else could you want? There are no more inequalities. Right. You You have equal prize money at this tournament, at four majors and a few of the former premier mandatories. What more do you want? Shouldn't this be enough? It's just bad faith. It's like this genre of tweeting, usually from men, That's like assigning you homework. It's like, well, you don't like something? Explain to me in a five-page paper how to fix it. Meanwhile, the cake was evidence. (laughs) I mean, I don't understand. Like, show me evidence. The cake. This is how it started. The cake. And then somebody responded to me on Twitter and said, that, that's, that's such bullshit. The cake is not a shit. Da-da-da-da-da. Same kind of thing. What are there this? What are there that? I said, the cake is the evidence. Everything else is the context. Like, I, I don't know what to say to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And somebody, I saw somebody said, well, what's the solution? Give everybody cakes? Like, guys, I beg you, think harder. Think bigger, as you've written in the agenda. The, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. So, of course, it was the... And the context. Yes, it was the weird back and forth from Feliciano, the ill-advised tweet from him making fun of the cake situation. And then we get this truly bizarre situation. So this is the worst. I thought that it really couldn't have gotten worse. And when I saw this happen, 
I really could not believe what I was reading on Twitter. I'm like, surely this is not the case. Like, figured that, it was fake. That doesn't make sense. Like, we are in this AI era, you know, chat GMT or whatever it's GPT. called. Like, <laughs> where you never know what to believe. And right. so I was Deep like, fakes. Um, and then come to find out, as flabbergasted as I was, the four players at that trophy presentation were triple fold flabbergasted. Mm-hmm. At the women's doubles trophy ceremony, no speeches were had. No speeches were allowed. This after the women's final had speeches and the men's doubles final also had speeches. So this was the only one. Yeah. And this is uh, speeches are pretty much uh, a main feature of a trophy presentation. They always happen at every tournament. The announcers, I saw a couple different feeds. The announcers were in real time trying to adjust what was happening in front of their eyes. Yeah. I heard um, Greg Rosetsky and Catherine from the Tennis Podcast talking about it, and they were like, what is what is happening? Uh, they, you know, they even thought, oh, was I jumping to conclusions? Like, where are, the, where are the speeches? And before you know it, all four players are heading off court. On that trophy presentation stage, they were talking to each other. You could clearly see them being shook. By what was going mm-hmm. like, on. They were chatting amongst themselves saying, um, what on, what is going on? And that continued as they left the court. They were even laughing to each other at a certain <laughs> point because this is just so ludicrous. Yeah, yeah. And when you consider that Vika Azarenka was one of the most vocal critics of Feliciano Lopez in the lead up to this, it comes as no surprise. Well, it did come as a surprise, but <laughs> it now makes sense that she was in effect silenced by this man because under no circumstance... Was he going to give her the opportunity to humiliate him further with that microphone? I mean, what else could be the explanation? Really? The only event that didn't have speeches. Why? You know, we're joking about this, but this is actually egregious. This is something that the WTA needs to take action on. This is one of the few tournaments across the calendar that pays equal prize money, that has achieved this level of prestige as a joint tournament, it's absolutely outrageous to have them treat your players like this. This is a tournament that is devaluing your product. You have two members of the WTA Players Council on that doubles podium, Victoria Azarenka and Jessica Pagula. I would be surprised if I didn't hear more about this. And I would love for somebody, anybody in Rome to ask about this because I need... Feliciano Lopez to be held to the fire further. And then big surprise, after there was all this hullabaloo from Pecci about the cake, crickets, after this happened. No, no When comments. people were screaming from the mountaintop that this is just one part of a larger years-long problem with this tournament, with this culture of misogyny and sexism, with the WTA players treated as less than less than by previously Tyriac and now with this new tournament director. After all that, we get the biggest evidence of all, and it's crickets. So what are we doing here? Everybody involved defending Lopez, the tournament, they were all playing in our faces the entire time. Coco Goff had to give her, her speech on Twitter after the match. She said, wasn't given the chance to speak after the final today, and then went on to give her thank yous. Jesse quote tweeted it with a few emojis. Aunt Jabur had stuff to say about it too. 
Victoria Azarenka initially gave her victory speech tweet like Coco did in defeat on Twitter. And then she followed with another tweet that addressed what happened. And she said, quote, hard to explain to Leo that mommy isn't able to say hello to him at the trophy ceremony. And for me, this was just expert level from Victoria Azarenko. Yes. yes. Because you scream from the mountaintop, they call you shrill. You say too much, you're doing too much. Here, she puts it succinctly in a way that so many can understand without being explicit about it, mm-hmm. that she was wrong done by this tournament, by Feliciano Lopez. To me, I think the takeaway is that this is a feature, not a bug. Like, this is the brand. This is what we've come to expect from Madrid. I have never been a fan. Like, I'm going to be 100 with you, and I know you, Jonathan, don't like when I talk like this, but... I don't? No, you don't. I don't care about this tournament. This, for me, this is an opportunity to take a short break from tennis. I'll check in on the results or whatever. Madrid is not important to me at all. To me, Madrid is a tournament that has purchased its prestige. It has no inherent prestige. It doesn't have history. All it had was an extremely wealthy owner that knew how to market it. It was a hardcore tournament for years. All of a sudden, it appears on the clay calendar, and we're supposed to believe that it's extremely important. Well, it's not. Rafa made it important as well by winning it so many times, by declaring openly... And it was openly, his, his least successful of the clay masters. Okay, but he, every year, regardless, he's it's incredibly important for him to play this tournament, sure. or so he says. So he says. But for years, you know, they were giving the men this gold dildo for the trophy, mm-hmm. a very distinctive trophy. Sometimes they were giving the women that ugly trophy, the the dildo trophy, and sometimes they were giving the women some, like, Kmart-looking trophy. Uh, If you're in Canada, that's like Zellers. And now the women's trophy is just a big vagina. There's something... Yeah, and actually it's uh, both trophies have turned into a a vulva. The men's is no longer the dildo? No. Oh. Or, if you don't like that reference, it's almost like... A bisected coffee bean. You know what I mean? I'm not a coffee drinker. (laughs) You don't know what a coffee bean looks like? Not a bisected one. (laughs) But for years it was like, you know, the guy is suing the WTA so he doesn't have to take equal prize, pay equal prize money, even though he accepted this sanction as a premier mandatory tournament on the WTA. Jan Tyriak has a long, long history of saying really misogynistic, offensive shit He called Serena too fat to play tennis, that it was shameful and she should retire uh, back in 2021. He's part of that, like, tag team Romanian duo with Nastase. I mean, it, like, the list is endless. He has showed time and again his disregard for women. Well, you're right. They have landed on both the men and women having the same trophy now. Yeah, I told you. So, I mean, my conclusion is like, okay, you're mad at Feliciano Lopez, as you should be, but... That's not where the root of it is. You can replace him and the tournament is not going to change. Okay, but also be mad at Feliciano Sure, Lopez. sure. One final thing on Pecci. His final tweet, presumably to date, about the Madrid tournament was, Two amazing finals. One of the best championship weekends. Thank you to the sponsors at Mutual Madrid Open for putting millions of euros into tennis and enriching the lives of players in two weeks more than most people make in a lifetime. Tennis is lucky to have sponsors like you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
Anyway, uh, I should add that it is actually against WTA policy for players to publicly disparage a tournament. So what Vika, Arena, and Iga said was like just on the cusp. So complaining about the cake was actually a way in. All this happened after the initial controversy at the Madrid Open. Way back when, <laughs> many weeks ago, Jeannie Bouchard. This was at the same tournament. Jeannie Bouchard shows up with a wild card, wins a match. And this match was against who? Diana Yastremska. And she goes out here on social media and says, quote, There's something about playing dopers in Madrid. Referencing when she beat Sharapova in Madrid mm-hmm. all those years ago. Shortly after Sharapova's return from the ban. Mm-hmm. Like, ma'am, you have so few wins on the WTA Tour in the last five to however many years that I'm sure that these prominent ones stick out to you in your mind, but it is not a good look. Beyond a bad look. Furthermore, Diana Yastremska was acquitted. She was exonerated. <laughs> yes, it was a sexually transmitted steroid. Uh, I, I didn't make that up. That's in the documents. The thing with Jeannie is you can say whatever you want. Like, I'm not offended. This is not about me. And to be clear, I do not need an apology. Like, this, it wasn't for me. But she gives this apology, and it, it feels very crafted by PR or her lawyers. I say feel because I don't want to get sued here. I don't know who wrote it. But it felt like, ooh. I didn't know all of the facts and I needed to delete that tweet or else I could get in big trouble. Because you're calling somebody a doper who was, quote unquote, well, not quote unquote, who was by the book proven not to be. Yeah. So you actually contravened the WTA code of conduct. You may have put yourself in legal hot water for like defamation, depending on what country you're in. The thing with Jeannie is that like she's always just been mean. I never found her very clever, very funny very shady. She's just mean. And that was never appealing to me. Okay. Actual Madrid results. <laughs> As we said previously, the women's final saw Sabalenka beach Fiontek. This was the reverse of what happened in Stuttgart now a couple of weeks ago. In that match, Fiontek beat Sabalenka 6-3, 6-4. And this was the second straight final between the number one and number two players in the world. This time... Sabalenka turned the tables, winning in three sets, 6-3, 3-6, 6-3. And cue the media now droning on about this being the rivalry and that we finally have one. (laughs) Is it the rivalry? I mean, we had Sabalenka and Rybakina a few months ago. We don't know what's going to be the rivalry, but it is exciting, no doubt, for the number one and two players to meet. And for me, it was super important for Arena to win this or win one of them, soon, for this thing to really heat up. Her year so far, win in Australia, runner-up quarterfinal, runner-up quarterfinal, runner-up win. It's just been the consistency show. Yeah, yeah. And to me, this all started with her win over Iga in the WTA Championships at the end of last year. It was, I think, like, she has really remade her mental game completely, she overcame those servips early in 2022. Was it just last year? Mm-hmm. And, you know, beating that may have been a major milestone for her. It's just, I feel like we're looking at a different player. It's the second time that she's beaten the world number one in Madrid. She did so in the final in 2021, beating Ash Barty. 
and now again two years later against Sviantec. And with <laughs> Arena at this tournament, it's either first round or trophy for her. <laughs> yes. She's played the thing five times. Twice she's won. Three times she lost in the first round. Last year, it was to Amanda Anisimova, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Sabalenka is just really good at playing world number ones. Also at this tournament, Maria Sakkari made another semifinal. I saw a stat that nobody's made more semifinals than her in mm-hmm. like uh, an extended period, like what, two years? Two plus years? She's the top semifinalist yeah. on the WTA Tour. There was a mild coaching controversy that surrounded Sakkari and sort of Alcaraz as well. Uh, kind of people criticizing their coaches for laying out entire points for them. This is what happens when you allow coaching. I don't love it. I think it's against kind of the spirit of the competition. But this is where we're at. A big event for Mayara Sharif. She beat Georgie, Putintseva, number five Garcia, Mertens, and reached the quarterfinals. This was a tournament that had staggered quarterfinals. Two on one day, two on the next day. I mean, when you have so much time to work with. But yet, nothing can be done. But yet. On the men's side, Carlos Alcaraz, eh, he's just doing Carlos things at this point, which is (laughs) winning, and in this tournament, winning without his best stuff in the final against Struff. He defends his title. This year, he's won Indian Wells, Barcelona, and now Madrid. It's his 10th career ATP title. He's the sixth youngest to 10 titles. Behind number one, Vlander, Borg, Nadal, Becker, and Agassi. Also in this final, Struff becomes the first lucky loser to make the final of an ATP Masters 1000. In the semis, he beat a resurgent Aslan Karatsev, who beat Struff in the final round of qualifying. <laughs> yeah, Struff was a, le- a lucky loser. You know, he's been a player who's been top 30 before. People know his name. He has big wins in majors. But this, this was a surprise. Depending on what happens this fortnight in Rome, he may be the new German number one. Because in the official rankings, that guy has fallen to number 22. And with points to defend in Rome and beyond at Roland Garros, it's entirely possible that he could be plummeting down the rankings soon. But he will pick up points during the tournaments he didn't get to play last year. He may pick he, up points. Right. <laughs> Struff, I mean, he got a little bit lucky. This is not to take away from his quality of play, but he got a little lucky in his section. Uh, Number seven, Felix got knocked out by Lajovic. Serundolo, Tiafo, those were the top seeds he was meant to face and didn't have to play any of them. I mean, not exactly killers on clay except for Serundolo, but still. But watching this final, like, serve and volley on clay? Love it. Love it. The backhand drive volley? Who has that anymore? Who even does that? Very cool. And it was great to see, like, the serve and volley chip and charge tactic uh, kind of neutralize Carlos's drop shot a little bit. Not completely, obviously, because he still won. But Carlos plays so many drop shots, and if you're stuck behind the baseline on clay, it's just, it's boring. (laughs) You're going to lose the points, but it's also boring. One of the big stories for the men at this tournament was Zhang Jijin, who made the quarterfinals. A big breakup moment for him. Unfortunately, he lost today in qualifying in Rome. Mm-hmm. He beat three seeds in a row, Shapovalov, Nori, and number eight, Fritz. And just to give you an idea of how big this is for Chinese men's tennis, 
Zhang was the first Chinese man to qualify at Wimbledon in the Open Era. He was the first Chinese man in the ATP Top 100. This is his first quarterfinal at a Masters event. We have also seen the breakout this year of Wu Yibing. It's huge. Like, these are major milestones for Chinese men's tennis. Elsewhere, Andy Murray and Sloane Stevens scored big challenger title wins. Andy Murray lost early in Madrid and then decided to play Aix-en-Provence, beating Tommy Paul in the final. He's up to his highest ranking in five years at number 42. For Sloane, she beat Greet Minen. Sloane won Saint-Malo in France. She beat Greet Minen in the final. Svitolina in the semifinals. Posted a lot of great picks from the tournament <laughs> and what she ate in France. I love, honestly, like I love to see players who are willing to go back to the challenger level and just grind it out. Dominic Team is going to be playing a challenger instead of Rome this week. He could have gotten into Rome if he wanted, but a lot of these players like need to feel how to win again. Big week for Svitolina. She gets three match wins before losing to Sloane Stevens in a tight match 7-5-7-6. Another player who could probably be getting wild cards into these tournaments, but is banking on the match play to get her back to the top of, of the game. I mean, you need to have a complement of both, I feel. Yeah. Uh, wow, we really flew through the actual results, didn't we? Yep. And it was I felt like it wasn't even me who was rushing it. It was you. Why are you putting this on me? <laughs> I leveled with you all at the beginning, saying that uh, I wasn't that invested in this tournament. It's the truth. It'll be the truth next year and the year after that, too. Somebody who will not be playing in Rome. We got another Hola Todos. Another terrible Hola Todos from Rafa Nadal, saying that he will not be playing in Rome. He's still hoping to be ready to play the French Open, but he's not there yet. The hola a todos is a trigger phrase at this point. It should come with a warning. Is it ever going to be followed by something good? Because it hasn't yet. You have here that currently Rafa is number 14 in the rankings, and that if he doesn't play Roland Garros, he'll have 445 points on his ranking, which puts him just outside the top 100. Yeah. He has 90 points coming off from Rome. He's got 2,000 points from winning Roland Garros, and there's barely anything left at that point. Some rough news from Emma Raducanu. She announced that she had surgery on both her wrists as well as an ankle, and that she'll be out for months. Who knows if we'll see her again this year. The last we spoke about Raducanu was her press conference a couple weeks ago where she gave one-word answers to everybody, and then the British press ran wild with all manner of mess written about her. Mm -hmm. Well, some, you know, the, the usual suspects. And it's not a stretch to think that she knew what was coming, or suspected right. what was coming, and that was playing heavily on her mind. Imagine. It's crazy how whenever... Something like this happens, people always almost go to the worst take, the least charitable take. <laughs> and we, we almost always get news shortly thereafter that, well, something was actually going on. Right. That person's in a crisis, they have catastrophic injuries, and we were criticizing them for not being nice at a press conference. Not we. Hyun Chung made his return to the tour playing in Korea a couple weeks ago against Jordan Thompson. Unfortunately, he lost 6-2, 6-4, but he's back, which is 
the important part. Hopefully he can remain healthy and injury-free and have a sustained run of being on tour. Mm -hmm. Simona Halep uh, issued a video in which she pleads her case and asks for it to be reviewed expeditiously because she's been waiting for a long time uh, for her appeal and her doping case. And she's of a certain age and time is very important. Uh, It was interesting that she was appealing to the ITF that does not administer any of the anti-doping protocols that's been moved to the International Tennis Integrity Agency, ITIA. I don't know what to tell you at this point. I Yes, I think you're entitled to a speedy trial, but I don't know what's going on. The point is she thinks she has a case and they're taking too long. They're not even planning on hearing the case, according to her. Ever? That's what she said it was scheduled and then they canceled it and then it's scheduled again and they're planning on canceling it again and she just wants to get it over with okay amanda anisimova has announced that she's taking a break from tennis due to some mental health issues she posted on instagram quote i've really been struggling with my mental health and burnout since the summer of 2022 it's become unbearable being at tennis tournaments that like that really hit it's it's become unbearable to be at tennis tournaments, the place where I do my job. I think a lot of people have felt that and to have to perform in public and be entertaining and be good and and sort of convince your sponsors that you're worth it, including Nike, who've spent a lot of money on her. That pressure is, uh, is not great. Amanda had a breakout year in 2019, reaching the semifinals of Roland Garros. And in the middle of that amazing year, her coach and dad passed away suddenly of a heart attack in the summer. And it absolutely devastated her, as you can imagine. Her father was kind of the center of her tennis world. And like it's been clear that it's it's been tough for her to work her way back. She made the quarterfinals of Wimbledon last year. She states that it's been difficult or unbearable since the summer of 2022. And that would have been when she had her best slam result in a while. But what does that matter? If you're not doing well mentally and emotionally on tour, I don't want to say it's the same thing and maybe it's not, but I think we can draw a comparison to what we were just talking about on the last episode, on episode 300, where in the case of Serena and Venus, they went through an incredible trauma with the loss of their sister, with the murder of their sister in 2004. And it was a, a, an incredibly difficult time, a time that took years For them to find joy in tennis again. Too often as fans, as reporters, as spectators, as people who have financial and business interests in sport, we look at athletes without giving them the same grace that we would regular people in our lives. When you suffer a massive loss like that, a traumatic loss like that, you don't just get over it. And people grieve at different speeds, at different paces. Even if you're feeling better today, a week down the road, you may not be okay. There's no template for dealing with stuff like this. And so when Amanda Nisimova says that she's going to step away to take care of herself, that is, it's admirable. It is. And we are living in a time where players feel safe articulating it in that way. A way that Serena and Venus never chose to. Maybe never felt they could or... They chose not to be open about that very often, but with Naomi, Garbine, 
Ash Barty all being honest about like where they are mentally and emotionally, that's a different, it's such a different place than we were in even 10 years ago. We haven't mentioned on this episode because we covered it on 300, but Serena Williams is pregnant. And currently, Serena, Ash Barty, and Naomi Osaka are all pregnant at the same time. <laughs> I forget who it is, but somebody on Twitter responded to one of my tweets about this and said, can you imagine in 2020 telling yourself or telling somebody that this would be the case three years later? <laughs> That all three, well, two would now be retired, but all three would be pregnant at the same time. Mm -hmm. After our last episode, we asked you all for your favorite Serena moments because they might be different from ours and we couldn't cover everything. And you truly delivered. There was some overlap, but there was definitely some stuff that we did not mention on the last episode. One of the big overlappers was she won that one game. <laughs> yes, legendary at this point. Some of you mentioned the issue uh, in t 2009 at the French Open where Maria Jose Martinez Sanchez got hit by a ball and lied about it, which is clear cheating. Serena noticed it. It's uh, going with the theme of Serena and Venus being sticklers about the rules. Serena was pissed off about it then. She was pissed off about it nine years later <laughs> in 2018. Her first major since having Olympia, she's playing with Venus in doubles. They're playing Sanchez. And Serena asked the umpire, can you make sure that she knows the rules? Like if you get hit by a ball, then you lose the point. Can you just make sure she knows that? <laughs> I mean, the petty, like the long memory and the pettiness, it's just so... Uh, Aspirational. Exact, that's the word I was looking for. Because she was right. Formal education was another big one that people seem to enjoy. And then there are a few Serena tweets. She gave us some gold over the years in her <laughs> with her tweets. Okay, back in the early 2010s, Serena was wildin' on Twitter. She tweeted, quote, Question, I keep hearing about an admittance to someone cheating me and lying about it after at the French Open. Did she confess finally? <laughs> Again. Another example of just how much integrity is important to Serena. Well, this was Justine's hand of God moment, but it could have just as easily been uh, Martina Sanchez's getting hit by the ball. Both players, Maria cheated, clearly. Justine was displaying extremely poor sportsmanship. I don't know if it was technically cheating, but it was gamesmanship. Everybody saw it. Related, there was an incident with Yelena Yankovic. <laughs> oh, that one? Uh, there were several interactions with Yelena Yankovic. One where they were playing and Serena called across the net because Yelena liked to talk as much as Serena did. And she was like, are we doing this again? Uh, there was another time where they met at the net and Serena assured Yelena, I'm not Justine. Mm. As in, I wouldn't do that. Mm. <laughs> one favorite memory... I believe this was from The Big Joker, the last game ever of Serena's career at the U.S. Open last year against Ayla Tomlanovic, where Serena saved all those match points and just would not quit. Mm -hmm. Emblematic of her entire career. I added, this isn't actually anyone's uh, response, I added the four straight ace game against Radvanska when she was in 
a little bit of trouble in the 2012 Wimbledon final. You also added that time when she cleared John McEnroe on Twitter. She said, quote, Dear John, I adore and respect you, but please, please keep me out of your statements that are not factually based. I've never played anyone ranked, quote, there, nor do I have time. Respect me and my privacy as I'm trying to have a baby. Good day, sir. <laughs> Good day, sir. She was seven months pregnant. John McEnroe was talking about Serena playing male players, and she was just not. She was not about to abide that. How about, oh, he's still, if you know it, you know it. This is from Scholes. I had to confirm with him. Like, I was pretty sure I knew what it was from. She was asked about uh, yet another of Jan Tyriak's misogynistic, racist comments. She's asked in press and she said, oh, he's still. You fell in the And blank. left it, left it open. Is he's he... still what? Is he still a pig? Is he still a misogynist? Is he still alive? <laughs> the possibilities. That's why this woman is a genius. At Milena Mepris says that one of her favorites was when Serena was jet lagged and ordered an espresso on court in Rome, drank it, and won her match. Totally epic. <laughs> Serena was so extra in that era. Do you remember that? And finally... This was going around Twitter a lot in the last week, and I really enjoyed going back and watching full highlights from these matches when Serena teamed up with Andy Murray to play mixed doubles at Wimbledon. Those returns, those angles, I think watching that match really put into perspective one of Serena's contributions that we did not talk about on the last episode, and that was the short angles that she would hit to put herself in position to just dominate rallies. All right, that's 301. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for your comments about the Serena episode. I feel energized. Good for you. I'm tired. <laughs> At this moment or in general? Like ex hard to, existentially? Hard to say. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Uh, it'll probably be two weeks till you hear from us again, which will give me some time to rest, hopefully. <laughs> Because I doubt, unless some mess happens in Rome, I doubt there'll be a mid-Rome mid episode. Please. Like, that's crazy. The, I, no, I refuse, like, just out of the principle. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. We welcome a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. You can find everything BodySurf at linktree.com slash the body surf thank you for listening till next time thank you thank you very much